Welcome to Good Pop, a pop culture discussion podcast about the good pop that we all love. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me again are self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Ju. Hey, what up? Take off your shoes. And also culture editor Han Wen. Hey, hey. Don't shake my hand. Just bow. We made it to episode four. We've gone a whole month of good popping. Thank you so much for joining me on this venture. Four is the four is the ominous death number, though, Marvin, in a lot of Asian cultures. So who knows if we'll make it past episode four? You know, I have faith that we will rise like the phoenix and <laughs> appear in episode five because next month is our month, and we're gonna have to represent. You know, but at home, represent, but at home, <laughs> stay at home, kids. But we're here today to um. So we're gonna try this for our podcast. Uh, basically, the last episode every month, so the last Friday of every month, we'll do a news roundup uh, where we'll share some of the um, latest news in media and culture um, that we want to talk about, and we'll ask ourselves if we want this in a new segment called "Do We Want This?" But first, um, let's get on with our roundtable segment where we ask ourselves what's getting us through this time of coronavirus. So uh, let's start with uh, Han. Han, what's popping? Ooh, so uh, on Hulu, Devs, which is a miniseries that um, Oscar Linden in, he did, you know, Ex Machina and Annihilation. And um, so this is a miniseries that also stars uh, Sonoya Mizuno, who is, I guess, his muse. And it takes place sort of like a near alternative future. And the premise is that her boyfriend, uh, she and her boyfriend work for a company called Amaya, and he gets to get promoted to this sort of super secret division called Devs because he's like super smart at like, I don't know, programming. And all of a sudden um, he goes missing. She realizes that somehow he died. And so as she investigates this, you know, uh, it unlocks a whole bigger thing that includes sort of this weird philosophical discussion and playing with the ideas of reality and alternative universes. It also has uh, Nick Offerman in it, Alison Pill, uh, Jin Ha, and who else? Those are the main ones, but it's really cool. Kind of makes you think, but I don't think it's slow. Uh, some people call it a little bit bleak, but um, I, I was all down for it. It's eight episodes, so... You know, you can watch it one a, one a day or one a week and like sort of mull it over. And uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not something you want think you want to watch during this time of pandemic. But uh, it kind of got my head out of, you know, my troubles. So. Yeah, the season just ended, right? Yeah, as of uh, last week, um, I think it ended. So I, I was keeping up halfway through and then so since it's so short i just went ahead and binged the last four episodes um the music is also super cool it's weird and like unsettling i'm so curious about this because um it's definitely my jam i, I love sci-fi i really really liked um ex machina which was was that his first movie or when... i mean if you like ex machina you would definitely like this i feel it has that same sort of feeling uh, where it's asking you some moral questions and um, it's kind of weird. Um, but the acting is just top notch as far as like 
all the supporting characters you didn't like I didn't know who Jin Ha was but I'm obsessed because he's such a good character um because I was like how do we have two Asians like in main roles and actually getting meaty stuff to do um it's I just think it's awesome um if you need something just that's different I think it's really well worth your time so Jin Ha actually started off or started getting kind of a name because he played the Aaron Burr in the Chicago tour of Hamilton or the Chicago performance of Hamilton. Yeah. So he, I think he was the first like Asian American cast member in one of the major tours of Hamilton. So playing a major character. Um, So he's, I'm glad that he's getting a bigger platform, very talented, super nice guy. Just my online interactions with him and really hope that we get to see more of him. Yeah, so Noe Mizuno has also been like taking on some really interesting roles since Crazy Rich Asians. Like I've seen her in more like interesting things than like a lot of the other cast members. Yeah, like Maniac. Um, she had this cool wig. Oh <laughs> yeah, uh, I it, I love how she just changes everything up from role to role because you know you would have thought Crazy Rich Asians. You're like, oh, you're the pretty one, and even in Ex Machina, you know she was pretty like a pretty robot. But at the same time, I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad that where where she's gone is just upsetting like any sort of preconceived notions of what you think she can play. Yeah, she is so gorgeous and could have very easily just, you know, done the La La Land part two rom com. I mean, she was in La La Land, probably the best part of La La Land. But uh, yeah, very props to her. <laughs> and it's really unfair how she looks good in every single haircut, no matter how atypical or weird um still looks great not fair <laughs> right i've always wanted to have a pixie haircut same and i, and I was just like i know i'm gonna look like a sad little peasant boy if i did that <laughs> yeah i would look like a boy who had just these round cheeks I, you know what i'd love to put her in is like one of those like undercut haircuts where half of the head is shaved oh. and then the rest of the hair is kind of like falling over i just think she could rock that that'd be hot just while swapping with you I finished Little Fires Everywhere, the miniseries produced and starring Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington, based off the novel of the same name by Celeste Ng. Um, I know the. I feel like the first the conversation around the earlier episodes was kind of like not not great, like not bad, but like definitely maybe a little too on the nose, but I don't know. I don't know what happened. It it really picked up. It's only eight episodes and the last half of the miniseries was just like, it was so intense. Maybe the op- quite the opposite of devs, you know, set in the past, totally just all about, you know, human family, like family drama and just being in close quarters, both physically and emotionally and people not getting each other and eventually just exploding. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's not subtle, uh, which no. <laughs> I appreciate. <'cause> sometimes, <laughs> but that's fine. No, it's fine. And, you know, I also, because HBO is screening a lot of its shows that's usually behind, you know, they're a paywall for free on Hulu now for limited time. I also watch Pretty Little Liars, which I think this... Little Fires Everywhere is being compared to a lot. And I just... Big, big oh, Little sorry. Lies. Big Little Lies. Pretty Little Lies is a very different show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I I kind of watch them back to back. I watch Big Little Lies and then Little Fires Everywhere. And honestly, I did not like Big Little Lies. I did not understand what the big 
deal was. I kind of have to agree. I think it looked great. Looked amazing. But, and, shot you know, beautifully. Some the, amazing Some cast. of the performances. Yeah, some of the performances were fine but and good. But like the story, I just didn't care for. Yeah, I mean, at the end and of the day. And I read day, the book. I liked the book. Yeah. And and so so I actually thought, and I know they adapted Little Fires Everywhere. They made some changes. Um, in the book, the race of Mia and Pearl is is presumed white, I believe. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Marvin. And so race isn't really... Yeah, because um, I think uh, I, I read that Celeste Ng wasn't confident in her ability to write a black woman, so she kind of kept it white. Yeah, and then, and then it becomes a story about class maybe more than race and class in that intersection. But I, I thought it was like a pretty interesting take on it. You know, they changed the ending. I won't spoil the movie or the book. For anyone who hasn't watched it or read it and wants to, but I, I thought the adaptations that the writing team made were really interesting, and it didn't take away uh, from the story, and it added a different version. You know, so I, I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. It's only eight episodes. Um, Carrie Washington is Carrie. You know, it's she's Carrie Washington. Like if you like Scandal and Olivia Pope, she does that like very intense like whisper like. I'm going to end your life monologue, which I live for. <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon is settling nicely into this new era where she plays like unlikable Karens, which I find fascinating um, and kind of an interesting move for her. But I respect it. So I would recommend. And you, we get Pacey again. I have I don't know when the last time I saw Pacey acted was. That's Joshua Jackson, right? I didn't yeah, watch he's Creek. always going to be Pacey. But I know that's me. from Dawson's Creek. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's also been in The, the Affair. But we all know he Pacey. At the end of the day, he Pacey. <laughs> oh, I also did not watch that fair much. So <laughs> he's yeah, um he's Pacey. He's Charlie, right? What that was nice character in Mighty Ducks. Yes, <laughs> I will accept Pacey or Charlie. <laughs> Throwing it back. Yes, yes. What? Um, but what's popping with you, Marvin? So I've been catching up on a new podcast called Fake Doctors, Real Friends, which is a rewatch podcast of the uh, medical comedy Scrubs, hosted by Zach Braff and Donald Faison, who, of course, play JD and Turk on the show. And it has just brought me back to like nostalgia from my early 20s. Um, Scrubs was probably the first show I ever truly loved um, that I followed from the beginning till the end. I watched it religiously. Um, I own every single box set DVD of the entire series. I probably watched the first season countless times. Um, I would show it to all my friends when they came over. It was, yeah, the first show I was ever a super big fan of. So I was really excited when I saw um, this podcast drop and so it's being billed as a rewatch podcast, and I guess it kind of is because each episode centers on a specific episode of the show. I think currently they're on episode six of season one, but it's actually more of an extended behind the scenes conversation about making the show. Um, they've talked about auditioning, going to upfronts for the first time, meeting and bonding with their castmates, and how their relationships and their characters have developed throughout the run of the show. They've also brought in a few special guests already. Uh, Sarah Chalk, who plays Elliot, um, came in for one of the episodes, as well as Bill Lawrence, who was the showrunner and creator. And it's just been so nice to dive back into this world that I haven't really thought about in a very long time, but remains a very, very important part of my life. And yeah, been enjoying this new podcast. Uh, curious what your experiences are with Scrubs. Yeah, I watched most of it except for that last weird season. Mm. Um, and then I've definitely... Uh, 
interviewed the cast and I think been to the set. Wow, before. what a flex, um, Han. Just casually drop that in. I mean, this is, you know what I do for a living. <laughs> so most of the time, I like if it's been local and in the past, I did do more set visits and interviews and stuff like that. It's now that the landscape is huge, it's much harder to get to all of those things. So, um, but yeah. yeah, back in the past when there's, you know, it was manageable. Sure. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I only know, or, or Zach Braff and um, what is Turk? Turk. He's always Turk to me. Donald Faison. Donald Faison are yeah. in my mind relevant because, well, Donald Faison was in Clueless, one of the best movies, period. Teen rom-com category notwithstanding. Just one of the best movies, period. Um, he is married to Jessica Simpson's best friend. And Zach Braff is currently dating Florence Pugh. And Which, th- how do we feel about that? Because he's like a good 20 years older than her, right? I mean, if she's happy, that's fine. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> at this point, do what you want to do. <laughs> like, if they're both happy. I mean, definitely I she's the one dating down, right? Like, if every relationship has a yeah, reacher he, he, and he's a punching settler, up. right? Yeah, he's punching way above his... Um, weight class but i do believe that if the person punching up is aware that they're punching up and is like grateful and works to like earn it like in whatever way they can i'm fine with it she's yeah she's also young so she can date who she wants and then move on which is what i i guess i assume is gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) uh i watched half of the first season and it was just a little too cynical for me um i think i'm by nature a kind of cynical person and again my partner is in his first year of residency so it wasn't really escapism at that point for me it was just like oh this is sad and it's i mean i have heard it is the most accurate representation of the medical field uh wait but jd is so joyful yeah i mean the show does a really good job balancing like light moments and dark moments and I think what I really liked about it was compared to the other shows where like doctors are seen as like heroes solving problems and saving lives every day. This was like probably the first show to actually show like the everyday personal lives of like working at hospital because it was a workplace comedy. Isn't that kind of scary though? Like I know a few people I went to school with who are now either in medical school or in starting residencies. And I'm just like, I cannot believe they gave you a medical license. (laughs) <laughs> from like what I remember, you were a hot mess as a person, and I would it just it almost like I think it's like a fear of like oh god, I want to have like a level of plausible deniability that the person like sticking needles into me knows what they're doing. No, from from what I hear, doctors are hot messes anyway. They are definitely the hot messes. Do all the works. Yeah. I mean, this has been a, my opinion for a long time. When it comes to anyone, let's say when people are like, oh, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he went to the Ivy Leagues. So I'm like, you know what? you can pass with a C. Um, and 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 th- there are a lot more of those people, you know, treating people and guessing and giving bad advice than others. So like, that's why recommendations are so important. Because I'm like, yeah, but are they any good? <laughs> Get a second, third yeah. opinion if you can. Yeah, but it's also been really cool just to, just remembering that when Scrubs was first on the air, it was kind of a groundbreaking show. It was like one of the first in the wave of, single camera comedies right yes. yes that was a big deal because the look was so different and it was 
especially for a comedy, it, it meant that it wasn't formulaic in the way they laid things out. And I remember hugely that the soundtrack was a big deal because yeah. like the needle drops on that show, like, I don't know how much that cost, but it was, it was great. I remember just being always excited, like, oh, like, what is this new song that I don't know? Or, oh, this is my favorite song. I'm glad they added it. Haven't they run yeah. into issues with that in the syndication, though? Like, you can't, they can't get the rights to some of these songs in perpetuity. So they've had to replace music and it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, in the DVD release and like subsequent streaming, like music has changed multiple times through every iteration. And just that's just the nature of this um, show. I think when they first started, like music licensing wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah. Well, and also like, I think back then, people didn't always think about like what things would be like in syndication or streaming or none of that exists as, as far as streaming, it didn't exist. And so like you have things like the wonder years where the theme song can't be used. But um, I have talked to producers who now keep that in mind. And so they will be very sparing about their budget and make sure that if they use a song and if they want it to maintain that integrity, they will save up the money so they can get it afterwards yeah which is all to say um it's been almost 20 years since scrubs first came out and a lot has changed and it's really interesting to look back and see how a lot of the things that we take for granted um in tv these days has their roots in this show so if you've ever been a fan of scrubs and are looking for a reason to go back to the show um check it out again the podcast is fake doctors real friends with zach braff and donald Faison. So moving on, it's time for our monthly pop culture news roundup in a segment that we're calling Do We Want This? Uh, Each of us will go around and read a recent news story in the world of pop culture, and then we'll ask ourselves, do we want this? Uh, So Jess, why don't you take the first story? Yes. So a new show is in development based off the book, The Madonnas of Echo Park, and Julia Cho... The playwright, not the actor, very important distinction here, has been tapped to be, uh, I guess she's uh, co-creating the show along with some other producers. Um, and it's it's a weird kind of setup to me because um, Julia Cho is a Korean-American playwright, fantastic playwright, and she has also written for TV shows like Fringe and Big Love. You know, I don't doubt her skills or her abilities as a writer to help bring this TV show to life. But the book is about a Mexican-American community in East L.A. So I kind of don't know if she is the right person to take this on. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to ask, do we want this? I think I want this for Julia. I don't know if I want this for... The culture, I guess. I want this for Julia. I want Julia. We mean we need more diverse showrunners in general. Um, You know, that's not just Asian ones, but like all just underrepresented writers. We need more of those because the showrunner in TV line is the big boss and has a lot of creative control. But I want the show to come on air. I want the show to be developed because as, you know, someone who grew up in East L.A. or right at the border of East L.A., I, I love shows about East L.A. I think there have been a lot of shows about the glitzy part of L.A., you know, the West Hollywood and Hollywood and Santa Monica. But there's, you know, L.A. sometimes gets a bad rap for being a, f- being a city full of fake people. Um, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's a city of few million and there's a lot of people who are born and raised here have nothing to do with the entertainment industry you know it's it's a 
collection of little neighborhoods and different communities. So this is a community you don't get to see a lot. And it is based off of the, the author of the book, Brando Skyhorse, is Mexican-American from Echo Park. So it's really his uh, story and his experience growing up in Echo Park. And I just, I just don't know if, like, I feel like this is a missed opportunity to get a Mexican-American writer, content creator in that driver's seat. I mean, though it's TV, right? So obviously you're going to have a writer's room full of, like, hopefully diverse voices. Um, because, like, Julia Cho is known for her plays like um, Office Hours and um, Aubergine, which are very good, you know, multi-generational stories, right? But mostly about Korean-American youth Yeah, fans, most of her right? writing... I mean, I've seen... I've had, I've had the privilege and the luck to catch a lot of her shows live um you know her theater shows like i did catch office hours which starring ki hong lee uh he was great in it and aubergine at berkeley rep but those are definitely and she's also written stories like 99 histories i i did her show for like my high school showcase bfe you know so i have a very long and I'm very admiring of her work. I I think she's a really, really talented playwright. But it's not to say anything about her as a person or even as a writer, but I'm just wondering, like, how... I mean, if the roles were reversed, if we were finally getting a family drama set in Koreatown and we got a Mexican-American showrunner, co-creator, writer to helm the project, like, do you think... People would be okay with that. See, in that case, though, I think it would be okay because Koreatown isn't a Korean neighborhood. You know, it's very multicultural. There's there is a lot of there are a lot of Latinx, a lot of like South Asians that live in Koreatown. So I can I, like for that specific example, I think it would be okay. You know, I mean, when I read this, it definitely gave me pause, Jess. Like I I worry, and I also wonder how did this come together. Was there a pitch? Was there like what made them think that she was the right one for this? Was there a treatment that maybe that we don't know about that addresses some of the issues that maybe we might have? So, yeah, I'm kind of confused, but nothing's in development. I mean, it's in development and nothing's in production. So who knows? Who knows if we'll see it? I mean, the premise reminds me of Hentified, which um, is a Netflix show that takes place in does it take place in Echo Park or does it take, take place no, in... No, uh, in um, Boyle, Boyle Heights. Heights Boyle Heights, right, right, right. Um, and that's a show where some of the episodes were actually directed by Asian Americans. Like, Andrew On directed a couple episodes. and Yeah, but but with Hentified, the show creators... Um, so Hentified started mm-hmm. as a short... Uh, it went to Sundance and it got developed into this uh, show. And the creators, who are both Latinx writers from East LA, you know, where the show is based are heavily involved in the production. They wrote actually wrote, I think nine out of the 10 episodes or wrote all of them in maybe in collaboration with a few um, like co-writers for some of the episodes, but it seemed like they had a very involved position in it. And I'm just wondering what the makeup of this creative team is going to be. And I mean, maybe, you know, I, I just feel like it is a missed opportunity to get someone from, you know, like a Latinx or Mexican-American writer in that position. Because, again, like they we also need more showrunners from that background, too. Though I do. I also wonder if Julia Cho, the playwright, 
is from Los Angeles, and this is just my like pettiness kicking in. I was like, if you're gonna do a show about LA, a New Yorker better not be doing a show about LA. <laughs> like, sorry, <laughs> but this is a very like I'm a, I'm an East LA person, you know. Like, I love East LA, and like people like especially recent years, like people have like discovered it. It's getting gentrified, and like it's very hip now. But I was like, oh man, like if you're gonna do it, do it right, East LA. <laughs> well, according to her Wikipedia. As of 2010, she and her husband lived in West Los Angeles. <laughs> West side. I think that's the the thing, right? When we're in the stage of our, I guess, media diets where we actually are demanding more own voices content because we're seeing how like vibrant and how important that can be in like kind of telling stories about specific communities. So, yeah, definitely a missed opportunity. Uh, but hopefully, you want to trust that the people developing the show are keeping those in mind, especially in the with a story this specific um, and how they make up the rest of their creative team is going to be really important. So um, still too early to tell, but you know, so we, we can, we can, we want it question mark. <laughs> I'm going to go for a tentative. Yes. Right now, like a skeptical tentative. Yes. Yeah. I mean, more stories about like not Hollywood LA is definitely always a plus. Um, I do hope that they do it well. Yeah, I think the staffing up is going to be the key here for me to be more on board. But so far, I'm kind of open to it. Yeah. All right. So we kind of want it is the is the <laughs> is the conclusion here. Um, okay, Han, why don't you take our next story? All right. So there's a new sort of series, uh, and I will address that in a little bit, called Trip. <laughs> It is written by Joel Kim Booster and also uh, has Bo and Yang in it. Uh, it's their show. And now, first of all, I would say, let me read the description of it. It is written by Booster. Trip is set on the iconic Fire Island. Um, it's an unapologetic modern day rom-com inspired by Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. The story centers around two best friends who set out to have a legendary week-long summer vacation with the help of cheap rosé and a cadre of eclectic friends. Now, that sounds fantastic. First of you all, you had me at yes Gaijin. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Joe Kim Booster and Bo and Yang yes. and their pals and Pride and Prejudice. Like this yes. is all me. Like Fire Island. Yes. Me. Yeah. Wait. So, so I'm, I'm guessing the two of them are Darcy and um. Well, that's his what friend, I was. Right? I was well, uh, Bingley. But Bingley. I am curious: are they friends or are they lovers? No, I'm, I, I thought they know. would just be like Jane and Elizabeth because they're uh, it, it's, Elizabeth's it's very, the main yeah, character. It's, it's probably the way it works, but you know, I, I, there's this is literally all the information we got. So who, which characters are which? I don't know, but I, it doesn't matter. I'm down for this concept. Hot. I have a question. Yes. What's a Quibi? Well, that's the second part I didn't mention. <laughs> this is going to be on Quibi, or at least Quibi had uh, got this from them. Now, Quibi is something that, I mean, first of all, the name, what the hell? This is something I need to explain to you. Quibi launched recently. Quibi stands for Quick Bites. So every episode is like 10 minutes. It is also designed to be watched on your phone. So Quibi uh, started from Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman's forces combined for this weird brainchild of a streaming service. And even way back when it was still being developed and all these 
actors and stars started signing on. Like you got some big names here. Um, and, and also weirdly random names like Chrissy Teigen and uh, Nicole Richie and just, but they're all such weirdly bizarre shows. Like there's literally a show I think where you, uh, catapult food onto someone and they need to figure out what it is and make it like and then there's one and then there's a show called uh, Murder Flip House where they flip a house that has had murders in it and um, Wait, like so in real life sound like someone got murdered in yeah, the house yeah so these are all things that sound like SNL parodies but they're actual shows um, some of them are scripted some of them are like you know the the food catapult show, whatever is uh, obviously unscripted, but so there's that. You had me at murder flip house, Han. Holy, I did not know about this and I am literally signing up right now. Well, the only problem is like, you know, you can only watch it on your phone. And so you can, here's the interesting thing is you can flip your phone either way and it still works. And so it's kind of, that's the fun part of it. You can like flip it while you're watching it and just like, oh, that's cool. But it also means like maybe the quality isn't the greatest. Um, and also we are now in shelter in place. So way back when they were creating this, they didn't realize that they assumed everyone was going to be on the go. And so these quick bites are great for like when you're in, the, in line at the DMV or when you're going to the airport or, you know, just like on your lunch break. Now everyone's at home to look at their phone while they're like doing other stuff like you usually use your phone as your second screen so you're watching tv on your big screen and then you're going on twitter and other stuff like on your phone so like now you're kind of like you can only watch it on your phone they recently after the launch and they didn't get many subscribers by the way um after the launch they put out some sort of like not a release but like they had a statement saying oh we're we're gonna plan on you know casting it to your tv too we're just working on that on the back end and it's like that doesn't make any sense you should like everyone has tv first and then you can watch it on your phone you don't do it the opposite way around (laughs) also what quality is that going to be like you know so who uh, cares about quality when you have murder flip house han (laughs) (laughs) well for me i think i actually do care because i've noticed my tastes have been changing like yes i am the person who talked about too hot to handle last episode but i'm also noticing i'm watching more movies because you know i know i want to commit to something that you know is satisfying to me so these quick bites I don't know if I'm going to be down for that. Also, I don't want to watch it on my phone right now while I'm sitting at home. Um, but yeah, so hey, your mileage may vary. But so I would say, yes, I want this show. No, I don't want Quibi. <laughs> I want it. So it seems like, I mean, I get the concept, right? Like people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And sometimes you just want to watch something quick. That was the um, whole model for youtube these are 10 minute webisodes that you can watch about whatever or five minute webisodes um so i get the concept of the content um i don't get kind of making it the entire concept of the service yeah exactly i think with youtube the nice thing about it was it was democratic anyone can be a creator uh a content producer influencer whatever it just and you know yes youtube has now become like created started creating their own original stuff 
um, which, you know, they tried to get you to pay for. And now they realize that people don't want to pay for it. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so I think, and but also YouTube has so much more library content, where, yeah, maybe I'll pay for this YouTube series like Cobra Kai, um, and watch it like once all of the episodes are released. But then I also get, you know, I, in the meantime, I've already been learning how to knit or play harmonica or doing it or watching people eat weird things on YouTube. So, and that was all free. So I don't quite get why I want to pay for Quibi. Yeah. But I also appreciate that. It seems like they're really going for it and putting money behind all this really dumb shit like murder flip house. Yeah. And Hey, Um, if I were like being courted for this, I would say in a hot second, yeah, like, yes, because, First of all, it's 10-minute episodes. Like, it's a very low amount of commitment. And then also the money behind it. So, yeah, I can see why they got all these people on board. Yeah, I mean, you're ventured backed by, like, some Silicon Valley people who um, probably raised a ton of money to, like, throw up people to make their shows. And now we have this Bone Yang, Junkin Booster, Pride and Prejudice adaptation. You have, you know, Murder Flip House. I think um, our friend Atsuko Katsuka is also bringing her show onto Quibi as well. And so, like, to all of our friends who are making shows for this thing, like, yeah, take that money. Because whether or not this platform survives, you get, you're getting paid. So I also wonder if all three of us are just too old to really get it (laughs) i mean i think there's a really possibility maybe we need to have like a millennial not millennial a gen z gen z like intern to come on and school us because i don't even know if they're watching things on laptops right like we talk about the screen shrinkage they are watching things on their phone but you know they're watching tiktoks on their phone which are 15 seconds so maybe we're just all too old to know. Yeah. And the, well, I mean, right now we haven't seen like really great subscriber numbers for it. I think we can wait and see. But honestly, most people I know, also the name Quibi is kind of like people don't know what it is. Uh, and I mean, it's TikTok been out. is kind of dumb sounding too. So, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, yeah. And Yahoo, like, why was that a thing in the beginning? So, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. All those things can be. Maybe um, there's a correlation like, of like we'll the see. dumber the name, the more successful <laughs> your company will actually be. So why not Quibi? Yeah, well, I would say if the target is Gen Z, don't hide it behind a paywall because they're not going to pay for that shit. You know, that's true. Like no one has money right now, especially young people. <laughs> Well, and also we're getting so many new streaming services. I think most of us, you know, invested in Disney Plus. Um, and I think that was a good investment. And I think, but then the Apple TV Plus came out. And then yeah. just sneakily, Peacock had a sort of a preview. It's not fully out yet, but like, do people even know what Peacock is? And then as of the end, near the end of May, we're getting HBO Max. Now that sounds interesting to me, but it's also $15 a month which is higher than any of these things like the uh, streaming services, unless you have add-ons. So, mm. um, I mean, but HBO Max is like Warner, you know, Warner Brothers, uh, Turner and HBO stuff all together. So it's actually kind of a nice package, but I don't know, like how many streaming services can you have? Like, can you watch all of your Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Disney plus? Do you need more? I mean, I think what's going to happen for me is like, I'm going to support Joel and Bowen's project, but I'm going to watch it all at once during a free trial because like, you know, they made their money. They made their thing. Great. But I don't know if I'm going to like actually like subscribe to this thing unless during the trial they hook me. So, you know, you got a week, Quibi. 
yeah. week. Yeah, and, and, and it's fair because also, like, all of these are originals so far. And they, because they're quick bites, at least there are a lot more originals than when, let's say, Apple launched. Apple launched with, like, six shows. And you're just like, why am I paying for this? <laughs> um, I mean, like, I even like CBS All Access. And, but that also had a library content um, of all the, those CBS shows and, and older shows, you know? So yeah, I kind of wonder, uh, we can wait and see. I can, I definitely could be wrong about this, <laughs> but like, I, I feel like because I've been covering TV so long and we, as people who it's our jobs are drowning and can't cover everything or know anything that it's yeah. just like, I don't see how the consumer can. True. Fair. But I'm excited for this project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The so, project itself. Yes, we it, want trip. We it. want gay, Asian Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> we quippy on Fire Island. <laughs> on Fire. Oh, that is so great. Yeah. And I really hope the. I, I mean, I, I'm I, I trash Quibi. That said, I I hope I get to see this. I I want to <laughs> I want to give it a try. You know, and and see what it's like. I I think any content from them is going to be good content. Like, let's hope. Let's make it so popular it gets like a full like a feature version of it. I think that is that would be oh, great. Yeah. All right. Our last story is, um, I guess, a kind of a downer. So um, over the last month, um, our economy has been taking a beating. And in, in the world of you know entertainment media, um, there's been a lot of just pain all around, especially in print media. So, you know, L.A. Times um, shuttered three of its community papers in Burbank, La Quiniana, and Glendale. Um, a lot of places are doing layoffs and... Um, just this past week, uh, Balance Media, uh, which is the, I guess, the umbrella corporation that owns The Hollywood Reporter, Billboard, and Vibe, uh, laid off 30% of its employees uh, within its editorial division, including Rebecca Sun, who has done so much great work reporting on Asian American representation and being such a strong voice within the community. And she's just one of the many voices that we lost over this last round of layoffs. And I guess, uh, do we want this? We definitely do not want this. Oh God, no. Um, it's, I mean, first of all, Rebecca's son did such good work there. I am baffled. I mean, look, I, I get it. Um, THR, EW, those uh, those places, they also have a print side. They're probably cutting their losses at this point. Um, it's, it's especially if they don't have, let's say, things in production that they're going to be writing about. But at the same time, like Rebecca's son, she was one of the Rebecca's. Like she covered a really important beat, um, which was most of the Asian American um, productions. So I I don't see how you can just keep one. Like I I feel like the smacks of like tokenism. I don't know. I'm just I'm angry about that. But also it gives me anxiety because you know I kind of cover the same stuff. Um, and so I am kind of keeping an eye on like what shows can be in production. What can they do? Are we going to have like, I think Netflix and certain cable shows have longer lead productions. So they've already like wrapped certain things and they bank certain things. They're just in post-production. But like when it comes to network TV, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but a lot of them aren't even having season finales and much less series finales. So they can't even complete like Supernatural is supposed to end this year. It can't yet. Yeah, they were they two episodes away from finishing their entire series. Yeah. Which, you know, this is a show that's been yeah. on for 15 <laughs> years. Well, also, you know, we're 
totally skipping an entire pilot season, right? Like most series that are going to be yeah. picked up are going straight to series. They're not even shopping pilots at this point, right? Or developing pilots. Yeah, I, that, that's why it's like all of these shows in development. I'm like, this is interesting, but are we going to see them? Like, how are they going to shoot them? I think, I think I was trying to figure out what sort of shows could be shot. And I think The Circle, another season of The Circle could be easily shot <laughs> because they're all in self-isolation anyway. Um, and I'm all for the circle. I really love that show. But like what other like most scripted shows require people to be in the same room, a lot of people in the same room, not just the actors, um, camera crews, all that yeah. type of stuff. So, uh, I mean, I think this kind of dovetails a little bit with what you're we were kind of looking at also, which is like, are there safe practices to do production? And they're looking into that. Yeah, I think because, we're going to yeah, see a yes. boom in unscripted like similar to what happened with the writer's strike in around 2008, because there are ways to, you know, concepts like the circle, or, you know, if you really can shoot who wants to be a millionaire with a host, a contestant, a crew standing six plus feet away, no audience, you know, things like that can, or a, a concept similar to that, uh, especially if you have a closed set where you can control, you know, make sure, test everyone before they go in and seal them off, like almost like Big Brother did, does typically. Um, but, and yeah, I mean, in terms of production, I would honestly think I would rather have no shows and no pilot season than to rush in early and potentially risk you know, the lives of these people, which I know, you know, I don't put it past any industry and I think people get desperate, but I would rather it, having no shows and have skipping a pilot season and a development season isn't the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is coming back early, making people who are in a hard, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place, making them sign things that say, hey, if you get sick and die, it's not on us. Um, we got to make another episode of like superhero mafia 37. <laughs> yeah. And going forward, like what does production look like? Cause um, I saw a tweet by super producer, a uh, minute Louie um, the other day saying that, yeah, like most big budget movies, studio films going forward are probably going to look like indie productions with like diminished staff and like less people on set at any given time. And like, is the future just like more digital effects to, make up for not having practical effect people or just well, like kind of no like because the crews. digital effects are also really hard to do some some projects are just too big to do on a home, home computer so you know a lot of the big budget studio films like like disney has released their new release dates through 2021 they've basically shifted everything and i think a lot of that is they just can't get their VFX effects done in time. And, of course, a lot of those VFX effects are outsourced to industries in places like Korea or India or China. And, obviously, they were also hit pretty hard um, in the global pandemic. So I, I think I think VFX, you would think, is something that is easily work from home. But I think between the security and just the processing power, it's actually not as easy as you would think yeah i mean just all post-production that's you're right because your home office it's fine if you're like me and i'm a writer but like for anything more complex than that you have to have a really big system set up that's why um i think on cbs all access the good fight actually had to take a week off um because they usually release episodes weekly and so they even released a video to explain how they had to 
send the material crisscrossing across the country in order to get it, you know, like the post-production, like here's, here's where they could do the sound. Here's where they do the editing. Here's where they do whatever. And so it takes like actual traffic for them to get everything done versus all in one spot. It's, it's crazy. And that's just like a show that isn't fully like digital or anything. It looks like it's just a regular TV show. So yeah, I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, I bless those people who are trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. It's going to be, we keep saying it's going to be interesting, but it's going to be interesting how this industry um, moves forward. Um, and it'll be interesting for us because, you know, like our professions rely on having stuff to support, cover, talk about. So, I mean, I hope people are realizing that the value of something that seems so frivolous as a TV show or, or a movie, because all we're doing right now is watching TV shows and movies and consuming this, these products, this art to get us through this tough time. So, um, I mean, could you imagine going through a shelter at home quarantine order, like with no Netflix, no Hulu, no, no even games like Animal Crossing or, you know, whatever, whatever you're consuming right now like that. It's already tough as it is. I, I can't imagine if this happened 10 years ago, even five years ago, um, what we'd be doing. So I, I hope people are seeing like really the value and the joy that these this work brings to our everyday lives and how it really does make a difference as cheesy as that sounds um and that when things open up again that you know we're there to support those creators and all the people who make it possible yeah well hearts go out to everyone who has lost their their jobs during during this difficult time and um we hope that everyone lands on their feet on the other side okay that wasn't depressing at all. Yeah, yeah. Let's end this uh, segment on a high note. Uh, at the end of every Do We Want This segment, we're going to talk about what's coming up over the next month and give some picks on what we should watch. So Han, uh, what's your pick for the month of May? Okay, so technically it comes out near the end of April, but even by the time you hear this, it won't be out. So um, Never Have I Ever. It's a comedy rom-com series by Mindy Kaling and her one of her fellow uh, Mindy Project writers, Lang Fisher. Um, and it is adorable. Basically, it's kind of loosely based on her life as a teenager, but it's set in the current time. So it's a, a 15-year-old. Um, and she did, in, in order to get this right, she did a open casting call. Is that right, Jess? Yes. Um, to find just the right... Oh, it was, this girl is great. I And I apologize in advance for mangling names but it's um maitreyi ramakrishnan um she's fantastic but also the rest of the cast is amazing because so she plays uh devi uh vishwakumar and she has two best friends one is latinx and one is uh asian i think chinese and um I just love this trio, best friends, but also the guy she has a really hot crush on is half Japanese. So the actor is half Japanese. Yes. And the character's name is ridiculous. It's Paxton Hall Yoshida, which I love so much. <laughs> like, of course, you have a crush on a guy named Paxton Hall Yoshida. Um, that is such a teen, like, it's, YA, like. it's But it's a delightful show because one of the, it's, first of all, it's just hilarious. 
Um, and but what I love about Mindy Kaling is that she fully leans into sort of like the awful side of us. You know, like we're we're all a little petty. We all do some really dumb shit sometimes. And so she makes her character exactly like that. And she's selfish sometimes and like thoughtful, that not thoughtless. And but, you know, she's going through some stuff also because her her dad, um, we find out, had died. And so, um, and her dad is played by Sendo Ramamurthy of Lost fame um, mm. and other shows. But yeah, it's, I ate up those, I because I screened it in advance, I ate up those eight episodes, eight, ten. Um, and uh, I need more right away. I can't believe <laughs> I binged through that. They're only like 30 minute episodes-ish. Um, and they're really fun. And they're very thoughtful. And I actually cried by the end. Aww. So. Yeah, I I cannot recommend it enough. You so very rarely see these kind of girls, like women at all, being portrayed like this, let alone a teenage girl who's, you know, like you said, little like hot mess, selfish, like horny. I think that's like a big selling point. Like she's just super horny. Which is she's horny. She's okay. She's like super smart, but she's super horny. So she'd rather, she's way more interested in like hooking up with this guy than like getting, well, like she's interested in getting with Kristen, but like that's secondary. Um, which looks yeah. like I, she- something I can relate to. <laughs> and I feel like I have not seen that a lot of like, also, like, yeah, like 15 year olds are horny, whether you're a guy or a girl, but we've seen the guy version so many times, but whereas like, yeah, it's great <laughs> to see it from a female perspective, let alone like South Asian brown girl. So I'm all for it. Uh, you're going to yeah. love it. So what do you recommend Jess? Uh, I recommend, a film called The Half of It, which is also coming out on Netflix May 1st. It is the sophomore film of Alice Wu of Saving Face fame. So I, I don't know if um, a lot of people have, maybe a lot of people outside of like Asian American film community don't know, but Saving Face was this incredible, groundbreaking, lesbian, Asian indie film uh, starring Michelle Krusik and Lin Chen, Back in oh god when when was this, Marvin? Do you know? I think it was like fifteen years ago. I want to say it was like two thousand. Um, yeah, like early two thousands. Um, like still probably one of the few portrayals of queer Asian love on screen. Joan Chen plays the mother, and she's phenomenal. Two thousand four. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. So basically, if you've taken an Asian American studies like class or an Asian American like media class, you've def you've probably have heard this film, but maybe outside of that, less known. Alice is also a cape writer. She won the script. Actually, won a cape contest, and um, through like the competition reading, actually found its producer and Ted Easy, and that's kind of how the origin story of how this film get made. So probably a little biased, but. Alice is such a thoughtful filmmaker. I think she has really stuck to her guns in, I mean, there's a reason why I'm sure there's systemic slash racist reasons why she hasn't made another movie or hasn't had a movie come out in 15 years. But I also think like, you know, she really took the time to make a movie that she cared about with a story she really cared about and to do it right. It really shows Leia Lewis is the star of the film. She plays a high school girl named Ellie Chu, very shy, introverted, really wants to get out of her small Washington state town. Her father is played by Colin Chow, of who's in The Matrix, but is like this very like 
downbeaten father who has loving, you know, very, very tender towards his daughter, but really can't be there for her in the way she needs um, after the death of his wife and kind of the failure of, I think, their life in America and what it was going to be. So uh, it's it's just, just such a tender movie. It's a love story, but the love story about friendship just as much as it is about love story about her. Um, and she helps this uh, kind of goofy but well-meaning jock character, Cyrano, a, a be- the beautiful, popular girl in school and then realizes she has, they both have feelings for her. Um, but it, it's at the end of the day, I think it's a movie about like loving yourself and finding yourself. And oh, I just like sat there like it didn't necessarily make me cry even. It just made me just feel things. And for my cold, brittle heart, that was such a <laughs> such a change. Um, so I cannot wait for you guys to see it. Incredibly well done um, film. Second film by Alice Wu. May 1st. It was going to premiere at Tribeca Film Festival, and obviously that has been postponed, but yeah, we please watch that first weekend. Give it the love it deserves. Yeah, the trailer's out right now, and it it looks pretty amazing. I'm excited for it. I actually have not seen Saving Face yet, so I gotta gotta watch that Oh, you gotta get on that. Yeah. Marvin, what are you excited about? Well, speaking of Asian American studies class. Um, we're all about to go to class because PBS's um, new series, Asian Americans, is coming out uh, May 11th and 12th. And this is their new documentary series about Asian American history. One of the creators is uh, Renee Tajima Pena, who is um, one of the... Is she the head of the Asian American studies program at UCLA? Or is she... I'm not sure. I just know her as the OG documentarian of Asian American stories in this country. Uh, she very famously uh, made "Who Killed Vincent Chin?" Right, yeah, that's that's I think that's how a lot of us who did take an Asian American Studies class know know her from. Uh, I'm looking at her her bio now. She is the uh, director of the Center for Ethnocommunications at UCLA, so uh, pretty big um, expert in the field. And what I'm really excited about for this um, for this series is like I know a lot of people who have never taken an Asian American Studies class and. I think this this series is coming out at a really great time when a lot of us are at a point where we want to be more engaged with not only um, our place in society, but also our history in it. And I think a series like this, where it does a deep dive into the history of Asians in America, it's, um, it's going to set up a lot of context and it's going to give people more knowledge in what the Asian American struggle has been. Um, over the last, like, over a century of American history. So basically, you're going to learn. Whether you want to or not, you're going to learn. <laughs> Is it a docu-series, Marvin? I think it's, it's a docu-series. Yeah. So I think it's, like, three episodes one night and two the next or something like that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't know enough uh, as I should. And, yeah, I, I, I didn't get to take Asian American Studies class. So uh, PBS has been my, uh, and other documentaries are the way I've been learning. Yeah. And even if you do know a lot, I feel there's bound to be something you don't because there's just so many different threads of how the different communities of Asian Americans came together. I, I like the Japanese American experience is not the same as the Chinese American experience. It's not the same as the Filipino American experience. And there are some names that we actually do know. It's like, I think the narrators are Daniel Day Kim and Tamlin Tamita. And then um, 
I know that some of the, there are tons of talking heads we know, but I definitely know that Hari Kondabalu is one. So uh, we are, we're definitely going to get schooled. And I also just like hearing, you know, modern day Asian Americans reflecting on it because, and what their experiences are might be similar to ours, just of learning too um, about that, our history. Yeah. So the, the five hour film series premieres May 11th and 12th. Um, and yeah, check it out on your local PBS affiliate, which everyone should be able to watch. So, um, I think we should probably do an episode on this too. We should do an episode on all three of our picks. Um, yes, I'm down. Over the month of May. I'm down. Right? <laughs> Never have I ever. I'm so for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, that also do it for this episode of Good Pop. Um, thank you for joining us for our inaugural Do We Want This segment. Hope you enjoyed and hope you um, stick with us as we move on into May, which is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, which um, this this year will be a little different because there are, we can't have any events. So um, expect a lot more digital stuff happening, I guess. But to wrap things up, uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this program, please give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We really appreciate that. And we're still starting out. So any help on getting the word out would be um, would be greatly appreciated. Our podcast, of course, is a member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora community. Um, you can learn more about our fellow podcasts by going to the website, uh, podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, Jess, Han, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having us, Marvin. Always a pleasure. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. It's been a while since we caught up with uh, your Animal Crossing island, Jess. Um, are you going to tell people about the comp- the compound that you're creating on your island? Oh, very excited. My hated villager has moved out. I celebrated when that happened. The villagers have started asking me to give... like They've asked me to re-give them nicknames to use or catchphrases to use. I thought it would be hilarious to add some, you know... Little obscenities, nothing too vulgar, but now, like, literally everyone on the island is running around calling me little bitch. <laughs> but I did this to myself. It's fine. This too shall pass. And I had a friend come to my island and describe it as the place you would take your parents on a date if they came to visit. And that is 100% my vibe. I have a Japanese garden filled with flowers, I have a little night market with a takoyaki stand. I have a condo complex called the Sandy Shores and another one called Rose Ridge. So I'm pretty happy with it. So you're telling me you made Florida. I did make Florida. I think I really miss my boyfriend who is in Florida. (laughs) And I have also made myself this pretty impressive museum complex, like with a cafe. And I am throwing myself several Animal Crossing birthday parties (laughs) uh, because my birthday will indeed happen during shelter in place so i'm throwing a a gala as they say (laughs) in the museum courtyard that's exciting i have um, been plugging away slowly um on my animal crossing i had the misfortune of starting my game during bunny days so my progress was totally cut in half during the entire month of april but i just three-starred my island so um i'm hitting credits tomorrow kk slider is coming to my island and i am i guess winning the game so to say. Yeah, yeah. We got KK Slider. That's all you need. Han, are you playing Animal Crossing too? 
Yeah, but I'm also super far behind. I, I think we know this about me. Um, I, I can't seem to play that long each day, but I am excited because once I log on today, I hear there are shrubs waiting for me. And then also I have a, a new uh, add-on to my house. So that's more <laughs> space for me to just shove more junk until I can figure out each of my room's sort of themes and decor. Uh I'm thinking like a wild animal theme for one. I've filled it with like paper tigers so oh, far wow. and, you know, I have the mangrove wall. That's very Carol like that. Baskin of you. Yeah. I, I <laughs> For a short period of time, I had the tiger t-shirt dress and then I just got rid of it. I was like, that's too on the nose. Um, you know what's but, on yeah. the nose is my tiger neighbor, Rowan. Jess, can you, do you I want to I love him. He's so fancy. <laughs> Why? He's like very extra. He has like the most... Grand Imperial Chinese furniture in his house. Mm. And he's this like majestic tiger that lives in this majestic cabin. Um, he gave, he crafted, he let me, gave me a craft recipe for something. I forgot. I think, was it a gong, Marvin? I don't remember, <laughs> oh, but oh my gosh. he is, it's, he's quite extra. He um, is the I tiger king. I appreciate him. You go into his house and the first thing you're, you're, you're met with is a giant like screen divider with a tiger on it. Yeah, I which I really want. Uh, he kind of reminds me of the sexy tiger from Zootopia, the one that's reading on the subway. <laughs> Very obscure reference. No, but if I you love know, him. you know. Yes. If you know, you know. Um, sexy tiger, we yeah. stand. So, no, he's great. He's also a jock, so totally a meathead, totally a. Um... You have all jocks on your island, Marvin. No, I have a lot of big you boys. Al, the. I only have two big jocks. Boy, big boy jocks. I have two. I have. I have. I don't think "big boy" is an official personality <laughs> designation in the Nintendo world of Animal Crossing. Well, I have a lot of them. But sure, we'll island. go with it. You have a lot of big boys. Yeah, you do. I have, I have but a, you're a big boy, I have so it's fine. I have a rhino. I have a gorilla. I have a tiger, and I have an elephant. I do think that Animal Crossing reveals <laughs> or am- amplifies who you are in real life because I have basically only like peppy happy villagers in my island. Well, yeah, because you kicked out the one that the didn't people... conform to your social engineering She was needs. so ugly. <laughs> she was so ugly. And she was she was in this really hideous... I, I'm, You know what? She's gone. Um, I'm going to move on from that past chapter in my life and only look forward. I mean, what does it say that like I'm having my character run around in just the underwear and boots? Um, because there's underwear. Like I didn't realize that until I just took everything off, and I was like, "Oh, cool!" Because I was like, "It's so hot now in the valley. I want my character at least to feel cool." Hey, it's so. it's your deserted island. You do what exactly. you want. Exactly, and also she's she, yeah. I mean, she's clothed. Um, yeah. Are you pretending that you're on the too hot to handle island? I mean, until they actually provide bathing suits, I guess it's the closest that we can um, get. But yeah, I mean, if if Anyone wanted to like create an island where we can send all our characters to do the too hot to handle challenge? Oh. Um, that might work. <laughs> Just don't touch. Well, that's been your Animal Crossing update. I'll probably put this at the end again. Um, just um, <laughs> as <laughs> bonus after the credits. Yeah. After the credits. But uh, Animal Crossing update. Mm, but we're still here. We're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. 
Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. Hey, we're getting tired of proving-